Welcome back to another episode of the Voice in the Game podcast. We're super excited today to have a tremendous guest, Joshua Schroeder. Joshua's YouTube channel produces video content for basketball officials to get better. It's an invaluable resource for high school basketball officials looking to improve. His YouTube channel provides hundreds of instructional videos for basketball officials. He's the creator and chairman of the board for Officials Institute. He's an IHSA certified basketball clinician contributor and also a freelance writer with Referee Magazine. Joshua, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Uh, Weather beautiful here in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. What's going on in Illinois? We actually have wonderful fall weather, finally. Uh, We got about 60s, mid-60s. The sun out maybe gets a little 70, but it's it's jacket weather. I gotta you gotta love it. Excellent. Excellent. So super excited to have you on. Uh, you know, it's been great to watch you grow as a YouTuber. Your YouTube uh, channel has exploded over the past uh, year, 18 months. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but all always we always want to find out is like how did you get into officiating? What is exciting about it to you? And how long you've been officiating? What's the what's the story, the journey? Well, uh, it's a very long story, and I'm going to truncate it for you. <laughs> it started fresh out of high school. I went to college and kind of fell backwards into it. I, I give you a list of jobs that you can you know work in the university, and I'm one said sports official. I said, "Oh, that sounds interesting." So I started doing intramural sports from flag football, softball, basketball, all the way through, um, and just fell in love with basketball. I mean, we love playing basketball, but then getting a little bit of, I don't know if it's the authority or the rule knowledge or what it is, but um, so then I became certified uh, through the state. Now, I started in Ohio and grew up in Ohio, and quickly moved to Chicago, where I currently reside, and then became certified with Illinois. And I've been doing it since 1992. Um, So that is, what, 30 years this year. And um, I kind of feel like I got a handle on the rules. But every every meeting that we have with the guys that I run, always like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, wow, I didn't realize the wording was like that. So it's always a a learning of the rules. But... um, yeah, so that's how we get into officiating and just absolutely love it, as probably most other officials do. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with uh, Jerry Markbright, the NFL official, retired, many yeah. Super Bowls, et cetera. And he said early on, he realized, hey, I'm pretty good at this, right? <laughs> and I think that's a big thing. It's like big thing for officials is I can do this well and I want to do it better Right. And, and it sparks that excitement and interest in improving and getting better. Yeah. You know, it's funny uh, you say that because for me, and I think for most officials, I call it the hump. You got to get over the hump because when you initially start, what are you doing? You're doing it for the money. You make a little extra money here. Maybe you're doing it because you just love the game and you want to stay connected. But then you, you realize you get yelled at a lot from the players, from the coaches, from the fans. And a lot of people say, I don't like it. It's not for me. It's not worth it. But if you get over that hump and you realize that "Eh, it's not that big a deal, I'm going to get yelled at, but they don't really know what they're talking about or the rule. 
then you start to see the retention of officials. And, and, you know, we talk about recruitment of officials. I don't see much problems with recruiting officials every year, at least in Illinois, we see a lot of first year officials that come in. It's the ones that drop off after two, three years because they don't want to deal with the hassle and the problems. And so we got to get them over that hump. For me, I was working an intramural game. I almost gave up officiating totally because I didn't think I was good at it. I got yelled at by these college players. They're in intramurals, but you know, they played in high school and they come up and I must not know what I'm doing. And then there was one day I, I was reading up on the rules and I, I read the rule about traveling, I think it was. And I, I made a call and the guy just reamed me out. And I said to myself, wait a second, you're totally wrong. I just read the rule. I know exactly what it is. So a light went off in my head saying they don't know what they're talking about either. So that's the hump. Now I got over the hump and then you can really focus on getting better knowing that you're not a bad official. So yeah, yeah I, I think I'm pretty good at it, but you know, I guess it depends who you ask and on what day you ask it. <laughs> well, you know that, you know, you know, we have that self-confidence. We walk into the gym and it's just a, we are going to take care of this game tonight. And there's nothing that's going to happen on the court that we're not going to be able to resolve, et cetera. And so having that confidence, you know, really allows you to embrace the experience and, and do what the players, the stakeholders in the game want, which is officiate this game for us, run the game, right? Administer the game. I think you're good officials, not your good officials. There's a lot of good officials. I think your great officials all have that sense of, I'm the best official on the court tonight. I could be working with Tim Higgins on the court and I'm probably going to come in and say, I'm just as good as him. I'm maybe better than him. Now, in reality, we also realize that we were at certain levels. So nobody's saying I'm better than, but you have that confidence when you step on the floor that nobody's better than me, not at that particular moment. Agreed. And the game appreciates that. The game wants confident, strong officials. Right. Don't waffle. Right. Your call. Right. I don't agree with your call. Oh, my goodness. But be strong about it. If you waffle, it makes it worse. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, are you fishing, officiating exclusively basketball now? Um, I actually officiate three sports. Okay. Um, I, I do football in the fall, uh, which is basically Friday nights. And then I do basketball all winter, which is an everyday thing if you want to work every day. Um, And then I've recently picked up water polo. Nobody probably even knows about water polo, but uh, that's in the spring. So I get to work year round. And yes, it's a different set of rules, but really as an official, doesn't matter what sport you work. uh, It's what you exude, like you said, in your confidence. And it's how you present your rulings and and all that. So um, it's a nice thing for me to have that it just doesn't end. And it's nice to go from one sport to the next sport because it gives you a break and you can kind of put it up on the shelf almost and say, all right, let me re recharge. So when I come back to it, I'm ready to go again. Cause we, you know, everyone experiences burnout uh, from here and there, but um, if you're able to do that, that, that helps tremendously. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So we're a, a basketball official. We've confident, et cetera. You're out on the court. You're out working on a nightly basis. What got you in the business of video instruction for basketball officials and ultimately the creation of your YouTube channel? How did that go about? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Again, kind of fell backwards into it. It wasn't a plan from the beginning that I'm going to do this. 
Um, I started with, as a, my regular job, I'm a photographer. And so I have all this uh, software for photo manipulation and video manipulation, which comes with the suite that I have. So I would get video from a game that I worked because me and my regular crew say, hey, we want to see that play again. You know, so I'll pull it out. I'll clip the play out. I'll zoom it in and I'll slow it down and I share it with my crew. And we all, you know, say, yeah, that was right or that was wrong. Or and as a crew, we try to get better. I started to do that regularly. And my crew members, just my two, would say, Josh, that you do a really great job of, of clipping that. Can you do this for me of this sport? Or can you do? And I started to get into my head, oh, okay, I can do this and people want to see it. So then my association that I um, am with, uh, my in-person association here in Chicago, they're always looking for presenters. Can you present this rule? Can you present that rule? Can you present something on professionalism or what uh, whatnot? And I put something together and it, it always drove me crazy. I love going to my meetings. I can always learn something from my meetings, but I always felt that the presentations were just kind of drab here's the PowerPoint, here's the words, let me read it to you. And I just felt I can do better than that. So I put together some presentations that I gave to my group. So now I have a larger audience that responded very well, very positively. And every time I would present it, people would ask, how can I get those videos? I wanna see those videos clips later so I can review them. And there was no good way because the video clips that I make are so large in size, I can't just email them to somebody because my email uh, account doesn't allow that large of a size. And I was thinking how I could do it and can I do a Dropbox? Can I do, but that's too much of a hassle. So I thought to myself, wait a second, YouTube, right? You're able to share videos on YouTube. Let me try that. And I would upload them and then I'd send the link to the person who wanted the videos. And then it kind of just grew from there. Then I'm watching, as most of us do, YouTube other videos like your channel. Um, Crown Refs is another good uh, resource. I would watch some of that. And I said to myself, I can do that. <laughs> so I put one together. And um, I actually have a, a good friend of mine who actually helps with our association, the Officials Institute that I've created that helps me review and look at it. And we put out my first video and we were really happy. And, and then the second one and the third one, and you, every video you make, you know, you learn a little bit more and you learn a little bit more. And I went back after I'd done it for a year, um, at my year mark, I went back and I looked at the first one and I said, wow, that wasn't really good. <laughs> Cause I learned how to make it, you know, just a little bit better and a little bit better. But, um, so the, I get into the YouTube just because I want to share my videos with people who wanted to see them and it kind of grew and it started with, you know, 100, 200 subscribers that would come in and I didn't try and, what do they say? Uh, you're a, oh, what's the word? Exchanging subs, sub for sub, I think they say. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> I, I never did that because I felt, you know, if I'm going to grow, I'm going to grow and it's not about not doing the YouTube channel to make money. You see these million dollar homes that some of these YouTubers are, are making. That's because they've got millions and millions of subscribers. And I, I explained to some people when they ask me, because people are interested. I said, 
my my focus group, my my demographic is not the whole world. And a lot of these, they can pull from anywhere and everyone's watching. I've got a very, you know, distinct subset of officials. Um, and so we kind of were stuck. And then all of a sudden, we just rocketed up. And um, it's kind of exciting to see uh, that so many people are actually interested in getting better and very more so interested in watching the videos. So a very long answer to your short question, but <laughs> we got there. Excellent. Well, it's a great answer. And um, over the summer, I was uh, presenting to a group of high school officials in a classroom setting. And um, I was covering screening and, and I'm ready to go and I'm arrive at the classroom and the previous presenter is presenting. And wait a minute, I hear a voice. I know that voice. And it's uh, basically they are, you know, repurposing and riffing off of, you know, your traveling video, you know, about pivot foot and lifting and all this stuff. And it's, uh, you know, so the reach is broad, right? You obviously have subscribers throughout the country. And of course, when you produce content like that, uh, associations leverage it and present it, you know, to their, uh, to their group. So, you know, you have to feel proud of the fact that you've had an impact on the training of basketball officials across the country. It, it is quite uh, humbling, to be honest, that uh, I get so much. I occasionally will get direct emails, even from guys, they'll ask a question or they'll just say, thanks for doing this. Even on the YouTube channel, as we all know, there's some people that put in comments just because they want to, you know, get a zing in there. I and mean, that's okay. I can handle that. But there's a lot of guys that they'll put in there and they'll question what the video was showing that I had, but then it always ended with, but I love your videos and keep them coming. And so it's just guys are doing exactly what the videos are for. Watch the video. If you don't agree with me, it's okay. But think about why you don't agree and why you have a different ruling, because that's what it is. If a coach ever questions you on a ruling and you go, well, I um, it was because... Now they're not going to believe you, right? But if you know, and you can tell them his pivot foot moved, or you know he was moving toward his defender, or whatever it may be, they're going to believe you a lot more. So uh, I love it that my videos have such a wide reach and really are helping a lot of uh, people get better. Indeed. So you had some video uh, creation uh, skill going in, but um, with developing a YouTube channel, you have to have additional skills, maybe things you weren't uh, as strong in. Uh, is that a true, true case, true story in your case where you had to, well, I got to learn to do this and I got to learn to do this and this and this and this. Yes. Yeah, so, um, my video editing skills were very basic when I started. Um, and I learned how to do lots of things by going to YouTube and saying, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And you slowly progress um, I had to learn how to properly uh, label my videos. And uh, for those that don't know, I reached out to Greg a couple years ago and just said, hey, your channel's doing great. What are you doing? I'm kind of here. And and you get tips from people who have started to show some success. And I learned how to then change that a little. I'll get comments from people who watch a video saying, Hey, it, you know, it takes too long to get to your videos. You're talking, you know, for two minutes of the video. Okay. So let's see if we can make that less. It's about pleasing your, um, people who are watching, you know, it's less about nobody wants to watch me speak for two minutes straight. So I try to get to the video faster, but yet at the same time, you have to lay the groundwork and the foundation of what you're going to see. So, 
Um, things like that I, I've had to learn along the way. Um, for those that don't know, I don't just put the video up and then talk and there it is. I have to think about what I'm going to say. I got to script it out because if I don't script it, I'm going to trip over my words. And that's almost every YouTuber that puts successful content out there is what they do because you have to be flawless, so to speak, when you put it out and you can't, nobody wants to watch you trip over your words and then they're not going to, you know, it's not interesting anymore. So those are the things that I've learned along the way that you've got to really prepare everything up front before you get to the production value. So well, I'd say that's really definitely one of the strengths of the channel is the preparation and the crafting of the videos um, with overlays showing coverage areas or highlighting, you know, uh, through diagrams, et cetera. And that, that takes a lot of time and effort. So uh, kudos to you and your development as a YouTuber, your impact by the instructional the impact, the instructional impact of those YouTube videos on the officiating community. I will make that uh, commendation to you for the officiating community. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So in addition, now you have a website, uh, officialsinstitute.org. Um, what are the opportunities that people have uh, that are available to them through the website? The website we've created is um, like a lot of websites. You know, it's not out there to buy things. It's not out there to sell. It's not out there to sell things. It's out there for people to gain information. And what can we do? What do we offer at the Officials Institute? Well, the main purpose of the Officials Institute uh, maybe started as a YouTube channel, but we offer meetings once a month through the entire year. And I did this because what do we normally do as officials? Six weeks, maybe eight weeks before the season, we meet once a week, we talk about rules, then we ref for three months, and then we're done. And we don't talk about basketball until maybe a clinic in the summer or, you know, a camp you go to. I like to talk basketball. I like to watch videos. I thought other people out there probably like the same and it keeps us sharp and it keeps us ready. So when we do go back, there's less dust to brush off. Um, because we've been watching plays all along. So with our website, we put on our schedule of meetings. So if you want to attend a meeting, it is open to anyone um, who would like to attend. It is down at the bottom. I maybe should make it a little bit easier to find, but uh, it used to be even a little bit harder, but it's at the bottom and it says meeting schedule and you simply click it and it brings up our schedule. And you can see, oh, in September or October on the 20th, they're going to do it. It's at 7 o'clock. Oh, look, they're going to talk about positioning. That might be something I want to do. Or, oh, they're going to do no calls on December. And, yeah, it doesn't really interest me. That's great. Attend what you like. Don't attend what you don't like. Um, we try to cover a lot of things. I actually ask the membership what they would like to see for the year. I plan it all out before. We don't do a what should we do next month and kind of think it through? I want everyone to know what the whole year is going to be. And that way they can kind of plan around because we're all working in December, January, February, and you might not be able to make it, um, but maybe you can. So you block it off because you really want to see uh, coaches. How do we handle coaches? That's really valuable to me. So I'm going to make sure that I can make that meeting. 
I try also, just as a side note, our meetings are every Thursday, every third Thursday of the month. That way it's a little easier to remember that OI has a meeting because it's the third Thursday of the month and it's always at seven o'clock and it's always an hour. I never keep, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes if we really get going, but I don't keep anyone over an hour because an hour is enough to talk what we need to talk about and nobody wants to sit at the computer really longer than an hour. It gets to be a lot just looking at a screen for that long. So we get very good, um, very positive feedback from uh, those that attend because we try to make it fun and we try to make it open. It's not a get on the call, listen to me. I'm going to tell you what this is and that's it. Don't question me. That's not what it's about. That's not how we learn. That's not how we should learn. We all see things differently. Um, as officials, we all know, say block charge. We could have two different calls and this happens. I'll have a video. I'll slow it down. I'll mark it out. I'll show you exactly what happened. And people will still say, oh, I still have a block because we just see things differently. And so, you know, we're never going to be the same. That's never going to happen. But we try what the Officials Institute tries to do is get people closer and closer and closer so the consistency is um, a little bit better. So that's what we do with our, our meetings. Um, it is open for anyone who would like to be a member. Uh, we do not charge a fee, uh, at least not now. And that may change in the future, depending on how our membership changes. But it's about learning. It's about getting better. It's not about you're from zero to five years of experience. Well, then you need to come because you got a lot to go. It's you got 30 years experience. Oh, well, you know everything. Nobody knows everything. I don't know everything. I like to think I got a good handle on the rules and I can reference, but there's always something that pops up and I find out, oh, the wording of that was different than I thought. And I, I do these clinics for, for the Illinois High School State Association. And I always say in every clinic, just because you've been calling a rule for 30 years, you've been doing it that way for 30 years, doesn't mean you've been doing it right. The rule may actually say something that you've always thought it said something else, because especially in the beginning, we used to be mentored by other officials. Veteran officials would mentor us up. They would teach us how to do this and how to do that. And philosophically, we do this and the rule states that. And sometimes we're given bad information. And if you're ever given any information, no matter how long someone's been officiating or who they are, even the Officials Institute, you know what? Look it up. Read it for yourself because that's how you will verify that it's right. And if it's not right, you'll say, oh, wait, but it says this and you'll be a better official for it. So that's that's what we do. And if you want to be a member, you can go to our membership tab here and just click become a member and fill in the thing and it'll come to me and we'll get you a, a welcome letter. And we use some other apps to help communicate and I'll get you on a mailing list. And that way you will also get... Um, notifications when the meeting's coming up in case you forget. Um, obviously, we have our donate button. We operate solely on donations. We ask once a, uh, once a year. Uh, we send out a few, hey, donate if you want to. We really appreciate it. But we don't, we don't take any fees from our members because we just work on donations. If you are watching this and you want to donate, please click the donate button and you can donate whatever you like as little or as much as you want, we will take whatever we can. Obviously, there's a cost to what we do, um, not just in time that we put in, and we do put in a lot of time, but the technology costs and the email uh, you know, distributions cost, and there's a lot of things that, that are in with it. So 
Lastly, and there's lots of other stuff on here um, with the contact, and you can go to the YouTube directly from here and in our clinics that we present. But the last thing that I really want to point out for those that are interested, we have a series of courses that we've put together, and we're still working on developing more. Um, and up here at the top, it's called Instructional Courses. And let me just click on all courses up here. We've got stuff where we put together, now this IHSA are the clinics that I put on, and we do in-person clinics, but we also do online clinics. COVID has kind of um, catapulted everyone into an online type of uh, world, and so we started presenting our clinics online, and we still do that. But those are specific to the Illinois High School State Association. But we've got Basketball Officiating 101, which is really meant for officials that are zero to say six years, zero to five years. You know some, maybe you don't know anything um, and you're kind of building your craft. We have an officiating 201, which is really six and up. It's a little more in depth and we've got listed out what we have here, but we, we still talk about some professionalism and some, some um, managing conflict and things like that that are all important to know. We don't cover them as, as in greater detail we more look at the block charge and the traveling and things like that. And then we're planning on coming up with a 301, which is even a little more developed. And it's going to talk more about coverage areas and angles and positioning. Because once you have the rules down as much as you can, you want to start putting yourself in the right position so you can see the play. Because if you're not in the right position, you may know the rule. But if you didn't see it right, you're probably not going to get it right. So we want to elevate that as well. And then we do break out a bunch of different rules, um, all in their own presentation by themselves. They're all fairly um, comprehensive. So if it is something that you're interested in, um, I would suggest checking that out as well. There's a, a small fee that um, is associated with that because, again, we have to pay for the technology and all that stuff we put together, but um, it's out there for your resource. Fantastic. Have you had a lot of traction with the courses? You're getting uh, good responses, uh, providing value there? Um, we have some. Um, you would think a YouTuber is really good at self-promotion, right? That's probably one of those things, Greg, that I'm not very good at. Uh, believe it or not, as much as I love standing in front of a group and presenting a rule, I'm not really a hey, look at me kind of guy. Uh, and I don't like telling people how great I am and look at the contact that I make because we all know there's a, there's a line, right, of being arrogant and of being confident. And I, I never want to be that I'm better than you kind of official. And so if people ask, I'll tell them about it. I don't promote as well as I probably should. But we have had some that come in. And I've got people from Alaska, people from uh, Arizona. There's someone on Connecticut. And they'll come in and they'll see and they'll take this course or they'll take that course. And, and it's always positive feedback because, again, we're just trying to give you a different look and a different way of reviewing rules. In fact, they're very much clinic the way I run my clinic. And people have, have said to me, Josh, that's the, that's the best well that it, that's the best way that's ever been explained to me before. I go to all these clinics and all these summers and nobody quite does it. I try to simplify. So it's not a bunch of jargon. It's not just look at this and that's what it is. Let's logically break it down. And people seem to to really gravitate to that because um, it's easier to understand a rule when you can break it down and understand this segment and that segment and that segment. And so people really, the ones that have taken it really do like it. And 
I also have an association out in Nevada that uses my instructional courses as their video uh, requirement for their members. Their members have to watch so much video uh, within a season. And so they've contacted me and I, I've given them access. So all of their members can take a course or two courses or three courses and they get their video uh, that way. And it really has worked out great. And again, the association loves it, maybe because they don't have to do the work. I do it for them, but um, it really provides, like I said, a different look at learning the rules. Yeah. So one of the challenges associations face is training and who's going to do it and what have you. So having resources available to them that they can leverage and say, okay, like in the instance that I provided where we're going to bring this video in and we're going to riff off of it and take portions of et cetera, or to transfer it over, at least they have that option because that it may not be the strength of that association, the training piece, right? All the officials involved in the, in the management of the association currently are, they're great at the block charge. They're not so great at instruction, right? So it's, it's, it's a great of, resource. Greg, it's kind of like the uh, professor who teaches physics. He's an excellent physicist, but terrible teacher of it, right? He just puts it up there and, oh, of course you're going to understand because I understand. So I think you're right. Associations struggle because we may have some great officials, but teaching is a whole different aspect. And so do they have the ability to teach it so someone else can learn? So you are uh, later, I think this month, have a clinic in Illinois where you're uh, in-person clinic? Yes. So um, November 9, hope that's right. It's a Wednesday. And uh, we offer a clinic to Illinois officials who need it. Now in Illinois, at least in the Chicagoland area, there are lots and lots of clinics and they do that specifically because you may not be able to make it on Wednesday the 9th because you have something. You may not be able to make it on a Saturday on you know two weeks from now. So there's lots of opportunity for officials to attend clinics. It is a requirement by our state association, the IHSA, to attend a clinic at least once every three years. And that's to keep our officials current on the rules, current on uh, philosophies, things that have changed throughout. They want everyone to be a better official. And in order to do that, you need to gain this education as you come up. Otherwise, like I said, you get your 30-year veteran who says, I don't need that, and they don't go. And everyone could pick something up, whether they want to admit it or not, from a four-hour meeting, four-hour clinic, because something's going to be said that's going to make you better that you've never thought of or that reiterates what you already knew, and now you just know that you're doing it right. So it's good for everybody. And there's a lot of people that go to a clinic year after year after year, as I think we all should. Um, so we are offering that and we will probably do our online again. I try to always have an in-person and an online because some people who live down South, uh, in Illinois can't drive up four and a half, five hours to come to my clinic. And some people know the officials institute. They know the content that we create and produce and they want to attend, but it's just not possible. So if we have the online, people will come in online and they'll do it that way as well. So. Yeah, the levering, you know, obviously we've gone through a phase over the past couple of years where with shutdowns, restrictions, protocols, et cetera, um, that has dra dramatically changed the landscape for training, for uh, normalcy, but also for recruitment of officials. 
What is the circumstance there in Illinois? First of all, are you involved in the training of new officials? And how do you feel that the game is doing, high schools are doing, or high school level officiating is doing in recruiting and retaining? You talked about the hump, right? But we need to bring people in as well. So recruitment is a tough job. And it's a a topic that gets a lot of talk. Um, And in my personal opinion, there's not enough talk on the pay of officials, because I think that is a large part as to why officials do or don't do officiating. Because if there's not enough money involved, there's not enough incentive to either come out and do it at all or to stay with it. Um, So the efforts that we have made uh, as as a state Um, have been talked about a lot. Um, And I think we're starting to see a little bit of traction because we're getting some of the new coming in leaders and some of the old leaders coming out because it's always kind of been you as an official need to recruit someone else, right? And then the new officials come in saying, well, why do I need to recruit? I'm just here to work and make money. So then there's a drop off of, are we bringing people in? Are we not bringing people in? Are we fostering? Are we helping them up? You get some of the old people that don't want to help the younger ones come up because they're afraid they're going to take their games. I don't, there's a ton of games out there, right? We all have plenty to work, but there's mindsets that we've got to break. And I think as some of the old start to retire and some of the new come in, we're getting more of a push of let's bring the young guys up because I'm not going to get this number right exactly, but the average age of an official in Illinois, I think is like 52 or right around there. It's like, that's crazy. And that's because maybe because we have so many older people that are hanging on. I don't know how it is uh, out in California, but in Illinois, at least in the Chicagoland area, which has got a ton of basketball, every varsity game is worked with a three-person crew. There are no two-person crews unless they're a really small uh, 1A school that they've just decided they're not going to do it. But even a lot of small ones say they're doing a three-person crew and it makes the game better, Um, which means there's lots of officials that maybe shouldn't have been working 10 years ago. But now that three-person is available, they don't have to run as hard. I tell young officials that are doing two-person lower-level games all the time, I can't do that what you do anymore. You have to work too hard, right? As a three-person, you don't have to work as hard, which is probably good because then you can stay focused on the game longer. My point is the olders are staying on longer and longer and longer. And you'll get guys that are well into their seventies that can still work a varsity game and they're good officials, but it's keeping the young officials from moving up. And that's where we need to see more of a, not necessarily a transition, but we need to see the young guys have some incentive to stick with it. Um, As far as actual recruiting, and this is not just Illinois, I think it needs to come from ADs. I think it needs to come from assigners reaching out to schools of kids who are still in high school, getting ready to go to college and tell them, get into the intramurals or find an assigner around there. You can make more money roughing than you can working in the kitchen, washing dishes. And if you get that started when they're young and you put it in their mind, maybe I'll be an official when I get to college, or maybe I'm not going to go to college. Maybe I'm going to work a job get into officiating, find something that you want. And then you're not going to play in college. You're not good enough to be recruited to go to this D1 school. So stay connected with the game. And if you can do that early on, like I was when I graduated, I think it'll stick faster because the young folks typically want to do something. And if it keeps them involved and it keeps them enthused, uh, they'll stick around. 
Yeah, the positive, you know, one of the things about recruiting as well is prospective officials need to understand the value that it provides, right? If we if we enjoy officiating, it's a becomes a big part of our lives. And because we have an impact on the game, because we can do it well, because it's exciting and all of these things, I'm, I fear, personally, I fear that the focus on violence against officials is we're shooting by – it's an issue that needs to be raised, incidents that happen, et cetera. But we're shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to recruitment by saying, yeah, you know, come in, work with uh, 65-year-olds uh, – you know, uh, as your crew and uh, potentially get, you know, yelled at or assaulted or what have you, you know, we need to create a better understanding of what the environment offers, the positives. Um, that's my personal opinion about. That's a, that's a great, great point. And actually to that, I've talked with friends of mine about the bad sportsmanship that they highlight in this clip and that clip. And to your point, Greg, some of it's just pure violence. Um, a lot of the clips do come from, you see, summer leagues or whatnot. They're not actual organized high school games. And that's not pointed out enough for people that say, well, I don't want to do that. Why? But that's a rare occurrence. And I think, in my opinion and my experience, the sportsmanship has been just as bad for the last 30 years. I remember getting yelled at and sometimes badly by a lot of fans and coaches 30 years ago. It hasn't gotten worse. It's social media has brought it all up. So everybody sees it. So when you do see it, I'm not excusing people from doing it or saying that we should allow it, but it's been there. And again, getting over that hump, knowing how to handle that situation is what is going to make people stick around. But to your point, what if they don't even come out at all because they say, why would I want to get yelled at? Why would I want to risk getting hit? Why would I want to risk, you know, this guy comes up in the stands and and takes me out? Yeah, I get it. You know, but it's also, uh, it's like a, a bizarro world to a certain extent. It's like, this does not happen in my games, right? Yeah, right. If we, yeah. and for a lot of officials, I think we say, this would never happen in my game because it's my game and we're not going to allow that to happen. Now, obviously anything can happen at any time, but, um, you know, the strength of the crew and their ability to manage the game and all the elements of the game are really strong components in keeping the game safe, fair, settled. There can be disagreements. There can be tensions uh, with coaching, uh, you know, about calls or what have you. But uh, the game itself will proceed and will end and, uh, and that's it. And I give a ton of credit at the high school level to athletic directors and the staff that they use because they're the really the gatekeepers. And if they can control their fans and they see something that's happening before it even happens, they're the ones that are keeping everyone safe. So we as officials don't ever even have to address it. So that is an important thing for those that might be watching that are thinking about becoming an official. High school sports, rare, rare occurrences of the, some of the violent stuff that you see on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, because it is handled properly by everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, part of your resume, Josh, contributor, referee magazine. How did that come about? I am not a writer. 
<laughs> which is funny because um, the editor for referee, when I, when I give him stuff, he, he says he loves my stuff. I write so well. I, I didn't go to school for that. I didn't typically uh, like it, you know, as a student. Um, but as I was trying to grow my YouTube channel, finding ways to get my name out there so people could find us and discover what we have, uh, my friend Tim Cullen, who, who's actually my vice chair uh, for Officials Institute, said, you need to write an article for Referee Magazine. That'll get your name out there. That'll get the organization out there. People will see that. I said, well, it's not a bad idea. So what did I do? What, what was the first thing I wanted to write about? Block charge. It's my, my favorite call because it's so polarizing. I think most officials, regardless of experience level, don't truly understand the intricacy of legal guarding position. I thought, I'm going to put that together and put it out there. And then I found a contact who I already knew wrote for Referee Magazine and said, can you make an introduction? Are they looking for new writers? And and got it out there. And because the editor liked the stuff that I produced, has asked me to produce more. And I actually do enjoy writing um, because I already, as my, my friend Tim told me, you're already doing it. You're writing everything out for your YouTube page. You're a good writer. You can put it all out. It's just you got to put it in, put it as an article. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I guess that's right. I, you logically think through what you want to say. You pull from the rules book the references that you want to make your point, And then you just kind of lay it out as a story. It's not fact, 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 fact. It's not just let me copy the rules and you can read it. Everyone can do that, right? You need to tell the story as to why this is and why that is. And, and so I like to write the way I speak. And if you can read it and hear my voice speaking it to you, then, then I've written it the right way. Excellent. Well, kudos to that. I'm not a writer either. <laughs> so much respect, much respect. Um, so here we are. We're pretty much on the verge of an upcoming season. I know you're probably still doing football, uh, probably just getting into the meat of the schedule. But um, do you think, have things returned to normal in the Chicagoland area and in your uh, understanding in terms of we had a normal offseason? There were officials camps. There were, you know, in-person camps. Uh, teams are playing. Teams are practicing. No restrictions etc. Do you think we're, we're back to normal? Um, we are back to normal in Illinois. Um, the COVID year, obviously, for everyone was tough. I know some states didn't have any basketball. Illinois came in late and gave them a truncated six-week season. The following year, you know, they had still some of the mitigating circumstances like masks and and um, some of the timeouts. They gave them extra timeouts for, they called them a mask timeout. Things are like to just try to help along. Um, everybody that's involved with sports wanted sports to play, right? And then they were getting public health officials or whatnot saying, well, you can't this and you can't this. And so they tried to make it work and they did. Well, this is the first season to your point. It seems as though everything is back to normal. There are no extra that has been announced yet. Uh, circumstances that masks don't have to be worn. We're not going to have extra mask timeouts. I think for a long time, you're still going to have some of the COVID residual where this individual or that individual wants to do wear a mask or wants to do, and that's always going to be allowed. Um, but they're not requiring um, players to do anything different or specific in officials uh, when playing the game. One thing in Illinois, I don't know if others had this, 
But during our truncated season of six weeks, they eliminated the jump ball. They didn't even throw the ball up. And a lot of officials said, oh, I really like that. What do we need a jump ball for? Just give it to the visiting team. And then the home team gets the next arrow. And I never really liked it. It's kind of like, it's a. I agree. It probably doesn't make any difference as far as the result of the game. But there's something about throwing the ball up to start the game, right? That's the ceremonial way every game is started. And so that came back the next season. And that is back again now. And um, I'm hoping um, anything, you know, major forbidding anything from major happening that we stay on that track and, and we keep going forward because nobody likes wearing the mask and um, nobody wants to take extra time. And so, yeah, everything, everything is back to normal here in Illinois. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That is what we have. I mean, we've certainly had a normal summer around here. So that's obviously a great indicator that, that, that we will be. Um, so Exciting times, always on the uh, on the on the cusp of the season, and it's um, great to have a chance to talk to you and give viewers. We're trying to put uh, officiating voices into the game with this podcast and with our programming this year, and expose people to your content and the things that you have available. Obviously, you have the YouTube channel. And there's a lot of available content there. You have the membership at the site and the Zoom meetings as well that basketball officials can um, enjoy and can help them in their efforts. So um, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to cover as we uh, get to the end here? No, uh, we've covered quite a bit, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, I just want to reiterate again, if you are interested in joining our monthly meetings, go to the website and just ask to be a member. Or maybe you don't want to be a member. Maybe you just want to be added to the to the listing. That's fine too. Contact me. We have a contact page and you can just say, hey, can you put me on the listing for notifications when your next meeting is? And we will be glad to do that. The more people we have on, the better. Like I said, the environment we try to provide is very um, inclusive and everyone gets a voice and nobody's better than anyone else. And yes, yeah, sometimes we say things that aren't right. And then we have to correct to make sure we get the right information out there. But it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about learning and getting better. So do that. And um, if you can't make the meetings and you love them, we post everything on YouTube, as you all probably already know. Um, and if you're not subscribed, please be a subscriber because it helps us out. It helps everyone else out. It keeps the contact available for those that are searching for it. The more subscribers we have, the more readily available it is for everyone else who's looking for it. So thank you totally for having me on. It, it, it's nice to, you know, speak and have a personal nature as opposed to watching them instruct on the screen. So well, it was great having you, Josh. Much appreciated. Much love. Um, keep doing what you do, producing the content on YouTube, the Zoom meetings, and helping basketball officials get better. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for joining us today for the Voice in the Game podcast. Much appreciated to our guest, Josh Schroeder. I've put links to all of his content and opportunities in the show notes for you to take advantage of. Until next time, put your voice in the game, make the game better, and carry on.